Hey folks, welcome to episode 9 of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now here's your host, Eric Gall. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 9. This week's guest is Helen Reese, and Helen Reese is also a sibling. And Helen and I have a great conversation about the sibling experience throughout our journeys. And we also discuss how siblings can empower themselves and their families. Helen also shares the awesome work she's doing to make Ontario a better place to live for individuals and their families um, that have a disability. So here's Helen. Hey, Helen. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast. Hi, Eric. Thanks for inviting me on your podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for taking the time out of your day and, and chatting with me. I really appreciate it. Um, so, Helen, we connected through uh, the, I, we'll call him the great Al Atmansky, and uh, he was nice <laughs> enough to, to connect us. And I think what really... Um, we had an initial conversation. What really brought us together was um, the similarities between our life experience and our stories. So, um, so Helen, you're a sibling um, of um, yeah. brother Paul. Um, so it was great learning about your your story. Um, would you be open to to sharing a bit of your story with with the listeners today? Sure. So uh, yes, I'm I'm the older sister of. Um, Paul, who he's about two years younger than me. He's a person with Down syndrome. And um, we are currently living together with my husband in Ottawa. And um, that came to be after uh, my parent, our parents passed away. And um, so Paul uh, became, um, I guess I became Paul's primary caregiver. I've been, I've been shying away from saying that because, you know, Paul also cares for me too. So I, I say I care give with Paul. Um, yeah, our parents passed away, um, both of them quite young and um, quite suddenly. So uh, our, situa- our new life situation of living together um, happened quite suddenly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, 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 my condolences on, on your parents passing. Um, uh, and one of the things that I really love that you just pointed out, Helen, is that you care for each other, um, which is great. What are some of the ways that Paul cares for you? Yeah, well, I, I noticed that um, I kept saying that I'm Paul's primary caregiver. And I thought, well, actually, you know, it's not a one-way street. That, uh, we have a shared living arrangement. And um, Paul is a very fastidious person. He keeps our house in top shape. He takes care of our cats. He makes me tea every afternoon at three if I'm home. And uh, he's always sure to remind us that there's a holiday coming up and decorates the house. So um, those are just a few of the many ways that he um, makes sure that our house is a, a wonderful and lively place to live. So he brings really a lot to our relationship. Yeah, awesome. It sounds like he keeps the house in order. He does, yeah. <laughs> I'm very grateful for that because um, I'm not quite as fastidious as he is, and my husband definitely not. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm mm-hmm. curious, what was life like um, 
with your parents in more of that, um, for the sake of terms, we'll call it caregiver role with Paul or supporting Paul, um, versus you being in that primary role. Um, and I'm, I'm curious because, um, eventually I will be, um, you know, in that position with, with my sister more than likely. So, um, that you're in, uh, providing or, you know, being supportive, um, in a more of a primary role. So, um, I'm just curious, what was life like when, um, when you weren't in that role? Hmm. Well, my parents were always very insistent that I have my own life. Uh, they wanted me to live, um, my life the way I wanted to live it without, um, thinking about or worrying about um, what the future could entail for me. And um, so I, I did just that. I lived uh, far away from my uh, parents and my brother. I made my own life. Um, one day I did decide to move closer to home with the thought that, uh, you know, one day things might change for me, but that always seemed in a very, very distant future. My parents um, assumed all the responsibilities for my brother's life. Uh, they took care of him in the way that they thought was best, and they did a fabulous job at it. Um, they helped my brother through all his difficulties uh, personally, but also um, in navigating the very large, cumbersome system that makes up our social services network. Um, and yeah, he. They just uh, kept all of that out of my life, and I didn't have any uh, input into that. At the time, I was grateful for that. You know, I really did embrace the idea of living my own life. I mean, having said that, our family was uh, very close. Um, My brother has always been an important part of my life. Even when I lived far away, I always looked forward to um, our phone calls or his visits, he would come to visit me. Um, so it, it was it was close, but very far away, if you know what I mean. Hmm. Yeah. So when I reflect uh-huh. on my journey, um, you know, uh-huh. my parents were supportive, much like yours, and me creating my own life and, you know, going to university and living away from home and getting my first house. And um, they've always been really supportive. Um, and in my situation, I, I saw this conflict building um, within uh, within my parents' house, my, my sister living there and being a part of that. Um, and it was really all about Sarah, um, wanting to be her own woman and, and make decisions for herself and have control over her schedule Mm -hmm. and and do all that good stuff, which is awesome. But, uh, it created a a lot of conflict because there was some misunderstanding that went with that. And as the brother in that role, I like reflecting back on it, I disconnected. Like I didn't know how to help how to support and that was through most of my 20s um and then i kind of came around to the realization well okay you know i do have these facilitation and coaching skills where i can step in and and help my sister and my mom understand kind of what's at the root cause of of their conflict right um from from your shoes or, or your experience did you have any of that like disconnected feeling or the feeling of not knowing how to help or how to support? 
Mm-hmm. I'm just listening to your story and I'm like, uh, well, first off, I'm so impressed that you were that insightful. Um, I, I think I must have been disconnected because I didn't see opportunities to um, help change things. Even after my father passed away first, and even after my father passed away, I didn't really help my mother um, with any issues related to my brother, Paul, except for some issues that were brewing in his workplace. Um, I just, I just didn't see the opportunities. And I wonder, yeah, I wonder if that was a construct um, of, of my parents. I mean, I hate to blame them really, but they, they were very adamant um, that I was not to I don't know if it was to not get involved or to not complicate matters. I mean, I do remember um, my brother was very fortunate. He is very fortunate to be a member of Live, Work, Play. And I remember when I was introducing the idea to my parents of Paul joining Live, Work, Play, and um, there were lots of reasons why he shouldn't join. And it actually took me picking him up after work and driving him to the Live, Work, Play office and sitting sitting down with him there, um, unsupported by my parents. Like they, they weren't fighting me on it, but they sure didn't support me on it um, for Paul to join this new organization that had new ideas. Um, uh, so, so I don't know if they, I just didn't see the opportunities or if my parents were blocking me. I'm not sure what really happened there, to be honest. Um, I remember after my father passed away and my mom sitting in the basement uh, filling out some paperwork for uh, ODSP, the Ontario Disability Support Program. My brother had had a hip replacement, so there was some complexities around um, um, payment and anyway, you know how complex ODSP is. And my mom never asked me, can you figure this out? And I most certainly have the capacity to do that. I, um, you know, think that I can figure out paperwork. I used to be a bureaucrat, so I know, um, I know paperwork. And, uh, but the, the opportunity never came up. I feel a lot of remorse around that, to be honest. I feel very sorry for not knowing because when I reflect on the life of my parents and probably the parent, all parents who have children with disabilities, how much of their life was dedicated to um, working through very difficult issues on their own and in silence, really, and how, you know all the, that time that they were working on trying to figure out the future or trying to understand paperwork, perhaps they could have been out with their friends. And all that extra money to maybe take a vacation somewhere instead was being squirreled away for the inevitable day that came when they wouldn't be around to care for Paul and somebody else would have to do that. Yeah. Thank you for being so open and vulnerable, Helen. Um, I can feel how much you care for your brother and the words that you use and um, in your voice. So, so just thank you for, um, for sharing. Um, it, f- from what I'm hearing, it sounds like your parents, um, were extremely, um, I guess proud in the fact that, you know, they were providing the care for Paul and in a way it, it almost sounds like they 
wanted you to go have your independent life. They didn't want to push that. I don't want to say burden, but they didn't want to give you that extra responsibility. Um, Uh and, and I feel that as well, um, from my parents, but in the same token, it's, you know what? I love Sarah and I want the best for her. And I see some opportunities that, um, that are out there and, you know, maybe see different capabilities that other people don't see and want to help to bring those out. You know, what you just said right there is very interesting because, um, I'm doing some work right now where I've had the opportunity to do a little bit of a literature review of the very um, minimal amount of literature that's available around sibling um, sibling relationships and uh, caregiving relationships. And what's interest what a very interesting piece that I found is that um, most siblings do want to be involved. They do want to know and they do want to be part of um, their their siblings' lives and they want to help make their siblings' lives better. So you're not unusual in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and in the actions that you were describing earlier of, you know, maybe your parents weren't totally agreeing with it, but hey, there's an opportunity for Paul to live, work, play, and, you know, Paul's interested, so we're going to go check it out. Right. So yeah, example of you doing the same. Well, I should point out that as my parents got older, it was a little easier to be a little bossier. (laughs) (laughs) I think um, as they got older, they were uh, getting tired. And I think this is not an unusual story either that, you know, they spent at that time, maybe 35 years being pioneers in this system. So, you know, Paul is really one of the first generations living in community and rejecting the notion from the doctor at birth that he should be institutionalized. And so um, my parents, you know, they were pioneers and they fought and fought and fought for so much for my brother. And And I think they, you know, in my very limited experience of being involved in the social system or the social safety net that we have. It's a very um, uh, tiresome, frustrating, and um, difficult uh, fight. So as they got older, I think they were just tired and they just sort of rejected, um, they rejected being involved in the system, quote unquote system. And so when I introduced a new idea, it was difficult, but it wasn't like, it wasn't that difficult. They were just sort of like, well, whatever, <laughs> we're too tired for this. Right, right. Yeah, I, yeah you're so right. Our our parents are pioneers. Um, and I totally. Love, I love that you pulled that out. That's, I, you're bang on. I think the one thing I've noticed about, in, again, in the very limited time that I've been involved in my brother's life, parents of persons with disabilities are amazing, resilient, strong, resourceful, uh, people. It's a, a small army of really, really powerful folk out there. Mm-hmm. I agree. So uh, what is life like um, now that you're more that primary support person for Paul or like his go-to person, right? Um, mm-hmm. what's oh, life I love like that. Now? Yeah. How has life changed? So 
the passing of my parents, as I mentioned, was a surprise. So both of them were in their early 70s. Um, they were healthy and happy and full of life. And neither of them any had, uh, you know, they didn't smoke or drink. So you know, the, I had expected that they would live a long time. So the, both their passings came as a very big shock and surprise for me, um, for both of us, really. Um, so... I am not going to lie, um, becoming the go-to person was very difficult. It is very difficult. Um, it was very difficult at the beginning because I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what that meant for me. I didn't know how to navigate it. I didn't know who else cared what I was going through um, and who could provide any resources or support for, for us. Um, Plus, there's the whole burden of grief, which is something we don't talk about um, in our society very much or in our culture. Grief takes an enormously long time to recover from. We're only in year two grieving for my mom, but I think it'll be another year or so that um, for me to feel like I'm back to where I was before. And then dealing with my brother's grief was uh, really difficult. So he would fall into very um, dark places and I don't have an answer. He would say, why did mom suffer or why did dad suffer? I don't have an answer for that. Um, so it was on, from an emotional level, it was extremely difficult. Um, also, I worried a lot about my husband who um, open, who was involved in this uh, situation as well and you know what had he anticipated when he married me I'm pretty sure it wasn't that he was going to be caregiving for a person with a disability and um, so it's taken a very long time I think um, I am only now starting to feel like I might have a handle on this I might understand what the future will look like for me and I have a few tools to help me um, but uh, it was really really challenging so I guess one of the I don't want to repeat myself but I guess one of the things that I thought is that there would be a, a system or uh, that there would be something there to guide me to navigate me and to give me resources and tools to continue providing a better life for my brother or continue providing a good life for my brother. Um, and there is nothing out there for um, families. Well, I don't know about families, but there sure is nothing out there for siblings. Um, and it's like people don't know what to do with you. And the assumption is, is that you're just going to carry on taking care of your sibling like your parents took care of of um, their son or daughter, but it's very different to so sibling caregiving versus parental caregiving. I mean, firstly, you have no real authority. I mean, I'm not an authority over my brother and he doesn't want me to be. Um, so there's always a power, there's a power dynamic to figure out. Um, then there's the money piece. So where a parent, might naturally pay for certain things for their uh, child. Um, for a sibling, it can be an added financial stress. Um, it can be a relationship stress. 
um, as I mentioned, you know, you don't know if your partner, um, your life partner is going to be open to the idea of caregiving in the same way you are, and then who you're going to choose. So it's a very difficult situation. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you've been on quite the roller coaster ride the past couple of Mm -hmm. years and, um, a difficult time, a time of learning. And you mentioned how our parents have had to been, have been very resilient. Um, you have had to be very, very resilient to, um, get to the point where you're at now, Helen. So, um, I just want to commend you on that and, and, and bring that up. Thank you. And I, I would like to maybe just talk about a, um, a more positive piece. So yeah. I, I want, um, you know, me as, me as a person, my journey really has been a struggle, but I think there are things about myself that have changed a lot in the last two years. And, um, you know, I've had to learn patience, understanding, and um, really reflect a lot on who I am um, in the last few years. So I'll just give you and uh, tell you a little story. So we have sometimes really big fights. Well, we often have really big fights, as brothers and sisters do. Yeah, that's not uncommon. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I, I don't know even where they come from or what happened to result in the fight, but we always have a fight on Saturday morning. I don't know why. <laughs> so um, I don't know if people, we're just grumpy from a busy week and, and it starts off with something little and it escalates and it escalates into these really big blowouts that just spoil the whole weekend. So this was a pattern. We were starting to do this very often. Um, every second or third Saturday, we would have this huge blowout that was uh, just this like whirlpool of frustration and my husband would be hiding off in the kitchen while Paul and I were at each other's throats fighting. And then one day I just thought, you know, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't want, there's no reason for us to fight like that. There's no foundation for that. And so I had to think about what I was going to do about it. So I one Saturday morning, very recently, we were having our usual, it was starting to whip up, um, fighting, 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 yelling. And then I just said to Paul, Paul, you know, you're my best friend and I really love you and I don't want to fight. And I gave him a hug and it just stopped cold in its tracks. But I'll tell you, there was never a harder thing to do than to dig deep and just um pull those words out <laughs> because I sure didn't feel that. I was just so frustrated. But uh I wanted to change the channel on um on our relationship and that really worked. And now every time we're sort of in a bad place, I just remind him like you're my best friend and we don't want to do this because this is we only have each other. And um it seemed to really work. So I don't think I would have had the capacity to do that before it's just taken a lot of um reflection of who I want to be in this relationship with my brother who do I want to because yeah who do I want to be and how do I want to represent 
Yeah, that's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing it. It um, it makes me think of uh, Buddhist philosophy. Um, the best way to fight fear or anger or hatred is with love, but it's also the hardest mm-hmm. path to choose. Yeah, you said fear, and I wonder, you know, I wonder if that wasn't the root of these fights, is that we were both just afraid of what our lives were and what it had the potential of becoming. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So let's shift gears here for a second. And I'd love to talk about how siblings can be empowered. So how can maybe in terms of mindsets or things that they can do with their brothers and sisters or their parents to, yeah, empower themselves um do you have any thoughts around that reflecting on um the journey that you've been on oh there's so much to talk about um talk about with that question and uh you know everybody's journey is going to be really different uh you and i are kind of funny because our journeys have a lot of commonalities but i think um that's maybe unusual. I've met a lot of siblings in the last couple of years and everybody's on a very different path. So I think the number one thing to do, and everybody says this all the time, it's really hard. um, It's really hard, but to take care of yourself in this journey first. So in the emergency of losing parents or in the emergency of facing a life-changing situation, uh, it's like worrying about your own health, your own relationships, your own psychology seems to evaporate. But I was very um, sure to take time to work through my own grief and my own, um, my own difficulties because by being stronger myself then I could deal with situations more easily and uh, with some power, which frankly you need. Um, I I relied heavily on my community. So Paul and I don't have any aunts or uncles or cousins. Both our parents were only children. And so we don't have any family. My husband's family live overseas, so um, we don't have any family in Canada. And that's a very lonely feeling when you don't have uh, people who've got your back. But then you realize who your friends really are. People start to show up when you need help. And I had one friend who just called me and she said, you call this person and you hire her for X number of hours on on this day and you do that right now. Okay, I'm going to take your advice. I'm going to do that. But it's those kind of people who just come into your life who who can see more clearly than you can and tell you what you need. So I had that in my own friendships, in my neighbors uh, where we live. Our neighbors were wonderful. Um, and, uh, even, yeah, it's so taking care of yourself and looking to your community for support. Uh, those are hard things to do. They sound easy. People talk about them all the time, but, uh, there's a reason people talk about them all the time because they're important to do. 
Yeah, I love that. It's, you know, if the plane's going down, you have to put your oxygen mask on first before anybody else's or else you're not going to be able to help anybody, right? So it's help yourself before trying to help others. Um, yeah, it's, that's, that's an, anal- an analogy we hear a lot. I think the trouble is we don't really know what that looks like. And I think that would be what was my case. I didn't really know what that looked like, but had a had an idea. So, you know, uh, make, taking the grief counseling and um, doing some uh, mindfulness training and um, yeah, I'm not going to go on, but uh, things like that, things that I felt that I needed um, right. to make me stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question to ask yourself, right? What is your oxygen mask? Um, yeah. you know, if I reflect um, back for me, um, a lot of it was just starting to do the personal development work, right? Figuring out who right. I am. Um, and once I had figured out who I am, it's like, okay, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm being authentic with me. And, and now I feel like I can go um, help and, and serve other people. Um which has set me on the path that I'm that I'm going down now. But uh, I, the first piece of that was helping me reconnect with my family and um, and supporting there and, and with how I did. So, so yeah, it's different for everybody, like you say, right? But just asking that question—it's really different. Yeah, right. Asking the question, what is what is your oxygen mask? Right. I think one of the other things that um, for me, there's this really deep. Um, seething anger <laughs> that has brewed since my mom passed away. The anger is towards the system. From where I sit, I have looked out at what is a failed and broken social system. I see mechanisms to keep my brother in poverty, um, mechanisms to stop me from doing my best work at giving my brother his best life, which is the wish of my parents. So this anger needs to be channeled. <laughs> so I have um, tried to find ways to to deal with that as well. So I don't know if other people will feel or feel the same kind of um, burn that I'm feeling right now, but I also would encourage finding a positive way to deal with that. If that does happen, does happen. Um, yeah. There's really two ways you can go with that. Right. And, and you chose the positive way. Would you like to share a little bit more about um, the work that you're doing in that to channel that anger? Sure. So I have been working on an initiative to try and change two regulations within the Ontario Disability Support um, Act, the ODSP Act. Um, the two regulations are around gifts and assets. So a person with a disability is only allowed to hold $5,000 in assets, and a, they are only allowed to receive up to $6,000 in a 12-month period um, as a gift. So that is a that is a poverty trap. Um, you, what can you do with five thousand dollars, especially when um, you're facing an emergency situation? Like my brother, you know, he was really lucky in that he didn't have to he didn't face a housing crisis. But if there were a housing crisis, he wouldn't get very far um, with five thousand dollars. 
and that I can only gift him up to $6,000 a year, uh, barely, that's about $500 a month, that barely uh, meets his, well, it actually it doesn't, it doesn't meet his monthly financial needs. And I don't understand why if a family has some resources, you know, um, that they can't use those resources to support their family members so that they don't have to live in poverty. You know, the Daily Bread uh, Food Bank in Toronto reports that 33% of the people who visit their food bank are on ODSP. So we are talking about a large number of people living um, in a lot of crisis, uh, food insecurity and um, vulnerable housing situations that maybe could be mitigated with family members were allowed to give them a little bit more money if they have it and if they could hold uh, more assets to provide that cushion. So we've been working, um, there's a coalition of about 50 organizations and hundreds of individuals um, calling on the government of Ontario to make that change. And uh, we plot on working towards this through a constructive engagement process. So it's our, what we're trying to do is understand what are the barriers to making the change and uh, trying to provide solution-based advocacy. Wow, that's fantastic, Helen. I love how you've channeled that anger um, about the system into taking action and doing something to uh, improve the situation of other people and other families and help get them out of poverty. Um, That's incredible. So thank you very much for doing that work. Thank you. Well, I won't lie. You know, um, sometimes I look for a reason to really shred somebody if I have the opportunity. But thankfully, those opportunities don't present themselves very much. So I try to channel myself positively. But (laughs) So um, how can, you know, if there's people listening to this podcast that want to support you on that work that you're doing, how could somebody get involved or support you with um, the gifts and assets uh, work that you're doing with ODSP? Oh, thank you for asking. So we have a website, um, gift-assets.ca, and if um, people would like to join the coalition, that would be great. The more people there are calling for this change, the better. In particular, if you belong to an organization that is not already part of the coalition, um, we would love to have more organizations, either disability, mental health, or poverty um, organizations joining our coalition. So that's what got a lot of attention for us with the minister was look how many organizations and individuals are supporting, supportive of this change. Right. So the more organizations and individuals that you have, the more likely you're going to more, yeah, more, um, more likely you'll be more able attention. to make the change. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So if it's, if this is something that, um, that you're interested in or it impacts your family, please check out the website. I'll list it in the, in the show notes and, uh, and, and join mm-hmm. Helen on this cause. Um, thank you. Yeah. My pleasure. So Helen, let's, Let's go back to the empowering siblings for a couple of minutes. Right. Um, what are maybe some of the tools that have been effective for you um, as a sibling and with your family and with Paul um, that other siblings can bring into their families? 
So I never knew much about independent facilitation until very recently. And um, I learned about independent facilitation probably about a year ago. And I thought, well, I don't know what this really is. And I don't know what the actual outcome of independent facilitation is going to be. But at that point, a year ago, I really had no other tools. Like I said, there's there's nothing out there for siblings. There's no roadmap on how to negotiate um, the place that you're in. So I decided to take the leap and um, hire an independent facilitator. I have to encourage um, independent facilitation. So we're still new in the process, but it has made me feel um, feel like I finally have somebody who's helping me with our situation. Um, somebody who really understands, who's taken the time to really understand who Paul is, how our family is. Um, they have done that without judgment. So that's another thing I've found really challenging uh, with being um, a sibling caregiver is that you're always on, it feels like you're always under the microscope and judgment of others, but um, inside the social services network. But with independent facilitation, um, you know, our facilitator is really without judgment, um, very supportive, uh, listens really, really carefully, and she's not looking for the quick fix. She's looking for uh, what are the ways that we can um, solve certain issues over the long term. And uh, so one of the things, we're, we're working on a number of things with our independent facilitator, but one that has been um, on my mind since the day my mother died, or probably even well before that, is what if something happens to Paul, or what, sorry, what if something happens to me, uh, who's going to take care of Paul, or who's going to um, have some oversight for Paul? So I had the idea of building a network for Paul, and I did that right away after my mother died. I set up a website called Paul's Extended Family, and I, you know, recruited 40-odd people to come and join this um, extended family of ours. And it worked really well, but, you know, it took a lot of energy for me to keep that up. So the facilitator is working with me on something we're calling a board of protectors, rather than a board of directors. Cool, yeah. um, we don't we don't need like a Paul is very social. We don't need a social network for him and he doesn't need a micro board either. Uh, but what what I do need is a group of people who know, who understand, who um who I trust and who I know if something happened to me uh would have Paul's interest at heart. So we're having our first gathering of our board of protectors in May, and um, it was a very hard thing for me to do to go out and ask. Uh, they're really their friends of mine, friends of ours, mine and Paul, um, to take this role. And uh, we're having our first gathering where we're going to talk to them about what the role looks like and um, uh what expectations are and if they have any questions. And so it sounds like a, maybe a small thing, but it's very hard to do and having her support and encouragement 
and guidance, um, even writing out the letter, the invitation letter for me and uh, has been really monumental. And the other thing that she did, which sounds so small, but for me has made a lasting impression, was she actually called me to check how I was doing. And nobody has done that um, outside of, of course, our friends. But uh, she knew that Paul and I were having a challenge over a change that's um, in my life. And she actually picked up the phone a week after we told her about this situation and called and said, so how are you? And that just blew me away that somebody could care and um, um, be that on top of our lives to to call. So, like I said, we're new in the independent facilitation. We've just started in the last, I guess, six months. But so far, what I feel it has done is put someone in my corner. I finally have someone in my corner helping me um, make decisions form the future and build and strengthen my relationship with not only my brother, but my community. And, um, yeah, that's huge. That's huge. And, and mm-hmm. I am a believer in independent facilitation as well. Um, I've been involved with my friend, um, Sam's circle for about the last 10 years. Um, and, uh, just see Sam's growth has been unbelievable. And then, um, finally, uh, you know, when getting more involved with my sister, she was interested in having a circle and, um, you know, huge benefits for my sister, but, you know, with my mom being in that more of a primary caregiver role, um, I think she has actually received the biggest benefit of not feeling alone anymore. Um, uh-huh. So, kind of to, to to the point you're making. So, so that's fantastic. Um, for for siblings who um, might be in the position where their parents um, are still living and providing support for uh, their brother or sister, and you know, let's let's assume for a minute that the sibling's not too involved, or maybe they want to help but they don't know maybe how to help or their parents are giving them kind of pushback or putting up a barrier. Um, I guess two questions out of this. When should, from your experience, when should a a sibling get involved around, you know, what age and how could they approach it? Those are tough questions. I, I think the conversation um, ideally would be a lifelong conversation in terms of openness around planning. My parents uh, did not include me or my brother Paul in their planning conversation. And um, I think that was a disservice to us and and um, the integrity of the plan. So the plan that my father had laid out has not manifested at all. Um, and I think it would have been... It's, it, it's a very difficult conversation, but I think that's part of where making it an ongoing, uh, an ongoing familial conversation might make it easier so that you're not bringing up this heavy, hard topic out of the blue that it's always sort of, oh, you know, we've made this change today or this is our, 
what we're hoping and this is what we're dreaming for you and and what do you think and uh, what is what is your take on it and it just having being included in that planning process throughout a lifetime is really important and I think not being afraid to ask for support and help so there are some organizations that do uh, help with planning. Um, Planned Lifetime Advocacy Network in BC has a number of affiliates throughout um, throughout the country. So using those affiliates to help uh, with starting or having those difficult conversations. And then even um, lawyers or uh, mediators, people who, who are experienced in in planning, I think are important to bring into to one's life. I say that, but I say it um, not having had that experience. So it sounds like a good solution. I don't know if it is a good solution. The way that our lives unfolded is not the solution, which is to not really talk about it because uh, the surprises and the, the complexities are too much to deal with when you're um, in a difficult spot or when you're in crisis. And um, I guess I'm amazed by the power of community, that calling on um, your neighbors and your friends to advise and support um, perhaps even throughout the planning process, if, if if your parents are open enough to have those conversations with their their contacts. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that's fantastic advice for any siblings and uh, families, parents out there that are listening to have that open conversation, um, not on a at a period of time, but over time um, for your lifetime and. Like you mentioned, Helen, sometimes that conversation can be heavy, especially if you're talking about things like wills and finances and all that stuff. But it can also be empowering, right? Like, how are we supporting our loved ones to fulfill their dreams? Right? Right. Um, and those are awesome conversations to have. Um, not always easy to uh, implement, but um, but yeah, I think those are awesome conversations. So. So, yeah. so Helen, um, super grateful for you to come on the podcast today and to share your story and to be so open and also just super grateful for the work that you're doing and, and how you're channeling the frustrations that you've had with the systems to make positive change. So thank you for doing the work that you're doing. Oh, thanks, Eric. And thanks for inviting me to share my story. Yeah, my pleasure. So um, for folks that want to get in touch with you um, and also also to support your your cause with the work that you're doing to um, change make some changes with ODSP. How can folks get in contact with you and and support your cause? The best way would be to be through the Gifts and Assets website, which is um, gifts-assets.ca, and there's a form to get in touch with me there or the email address um, that's on the website. Otherwise, I also have my own website, which is HelenReese.ca. It's an easy one to remember. Um, and my contact information is on there as well. Okay, excellent. Thanks so much, Helen. And uh, Paul is a very lucky guy to have you as his number one person. 
I think I'm pretty lucky too. (laughs) (laughs) I think you are as well. All right, Helen, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Eric. It was so great to have fellow sibling Helen Reese on the podcast today. I hope her powerful story and insights helped open a conversation with your family and planning the future and thinking about what that looks like. Um, Also, if you're in uh, the Ontario area, I strongly encourage you to join her coalition on uh, gifts and assets and making a positive change with the ODSP program. I already have, so... um, please join that cause. Uh, Also, uh, join us next week. So next week, uh, our guests are two sisters, Mallory and Jade Ryan, and they're founders of a company called the Danceability Movement. Jade and Mallory share their story on um, why they started the Danceability Movement and where they're at now. And they have a really cool business model uh, that really fosters inclusion that I think you're really going to like. They also share more about Um, what an occupational therapist does. They're both occupational therapists. And they share the benefits that their clients are receiving both in the dance studio and outside of the dance studio, which is really cool. So I think you really enjoyed that. You can find all of our episodes at empoweringability.org. And we'd also love it if you rated us on iTunes, if you're uh, an iTunes subscriber. So thanks for listening today and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your loved ones impacted by disability live a full and meaningful life.